Today we're in James 3. Let's open up there. So today in James, it is a little bit of a challenging text. It's kind of difficult to, um, to teach. And so I'm just going to go through it one verse at a time. And to give you like, I, I, I think I understand it from a general perspective. Now, basically what we're going to see is wisdom. And we're going to see that there's a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below. Now, here's what you'll find in life, is that wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. Now, for Christians, wisdom is the proper application of Bible knowledge. So it doesn't matter if you know a verse, what matters is are you applying the verse. Like, for example, last uh, Sunday, we went over the tongue, right? We talked about how you have to tame the tongue, right? How'd you guys do this week? I'm just curious. Some people are like, it wasn't a good week. You know, I got phone calls from wives. Can you teach that again? No, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. I didn't. But I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't matter if you know it by, ver by heart. You know, the uh, you know, Bible says to every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so you might know it. I know it by heart. It doesn't matter. I might know it in the Greek language. I might even know it, whatever. If you translate into different language, the Spanish version, it doesn't matter if I know it inside and out. I might know cross-references. I might know what Warren Wiersbe had to say on it or Chuck Smith. It doesn't matter. That's just knowledge. It's not wisdom. Wisdom is when you live it. And so what ends up happening is when you attain wisdom, then you actually attain this thing that we call the skill of living a successful life. Living a successful life in the eyes of God. And so you're going to have wisdom from above. And it's, you, know, you read the word and the spirit of God is moving and he tells you what to do. And at the end of the day, like Kay Smith or, or Chuck Smith or some of the people that we know that finished well, you will have lived a successful life in the sight of God. But there is also a wisdom in the world. There is a wisdom of the world and it's out there. And it will bombard you in their you know, universities. And it will bombard you with their maxims and their sayings and their proverbs. They say, don't get mad, get even. That's what the world says. They would never tell you to turn the other cheek. All I'm saying is that there is a worldly wisdom, which, yes, if you abide by the worldly wisdom, you will succeed in the worldly standards. You will. You'll get everything that the world has to offer because it's a doggy dog world and you know how to do it. You know how to be a shoving leader. And we're going to see that, that, that we have to, as we're making decisions, we're living life, uh, we have to ask ourselves, where is this wisdom coming from? Where is this counsel coming from? Where is this advice coming from? What am I basing my decisions on? Is it the word of God, you know, led by the spirit of God? Or is it something that you heard? Because we're going to see today that it might be your flesh. It might be the world that we live in, the cultural influences, right? Or it might even be the devil himself. And so it's important for us to know this as we live life. I know for myself, I didn't have any common sense. I didn't really have proper guidance growing up. And um, I was in big trouble heading for death, I believe. And then God came into my life and he gave me this thing called the Bible. It's the Bible. It's not sophisticated. It's not complicated. How strong will we be in our walk? It has to do with how well we know it and live it. 
So that's how important it is. And so we're going to see that, again, like I said, the text is a little difficult to teach, but I'm going to do my best in going through it. He says in verse 13 of James 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? He asks a question. Who's wise? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And so he asks the question, who is wise among you? And it, it can't be, well, I am. I've got the degree. It can't be like I am. Well, I know 27 verses by heart. It, it, it can't be, well, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's you find out who's wise among you by the life that they live. Are they living a life of obedience? And in that obedience, there's this aspect of humility in their life. Is it this wisdom and understanding that is done in the meekness? of wisdom. Now, I will say this. I think the more I read the verse, the more I believe that it is a verse that you can't take it out of context. I think there's still a connection with James chapter 3, where he's talking about teachers. He's talking about leaders. And in one sense, I think he's still kind of looking for leaders. He's still looking for godly leaders. You know, 1 Corinthians, it talks about, hey, isn't there anyone wise among you that can settle this dispute when they were having this financial litigation that was going on? And so you need leaders in the church. You need teachers who can tame their tongue. You need leaders who have this wisdom with meekness. I I think the context kind of demands that. And so, you know, wise and, and understanding. You know, who is wise? Well, it's not, not, like Tony Evans said, it doesn't say that it's the one who has read widely or attained advanced degrees or can wax eloquently about any subject. No, that's not the wise. Wise deeds are the proof of a wise life. Not I got a PhD, not that you got a certain IQ. No, it's a life of whether or not we're living in this humble obedience to the God who made us. That's what he says. Those are the, the, the leaders. That's how you can prove whether or not is it an individual is wise. You know, the, the meekness right there, the meekness of wisdom. There's a lot of people in the world, they, would, they, will, they won't vote for meekness. They believe that meekness is, is weakness. I want a leader with a type A personality. I want a leader who just, you know, TCOB, take care of business in every single sense, and they micromanage, and they're just dominating and, and, and the Lord says, that's not how, that might be how it, that, that's how it is in the world. That is how it is in the world. I was talking to a gentleman, he's a jiu-jitsu uh, instructor. And if you guys have ever taken any type of class like that, karate and stuff like that, yeah, they got to be that way. They, they got to be that way. That's the way it is in the world. Jesus even said that's the way it is in the world, but not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is wisdom with humility. And you'll see when you look at Old and New Testament, when you look at some of the leaders, they were meek. They were humble. Like Moses, the Bible says in Numbers 12 and verse 3 that the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And so here's this guy leading millions of people. Imagine that. And he's not like that dominating guy. He's, he's just a real humble, meek man that God appeared to and said, let me do a work through your life. You know, and so when others would come against him, remember when Miriam, his sister, or Aaron, his brother, they spoke against him? You know, Moses didn't go and said, hey, man, I can't believe you did that. Moses, he just took it in stride. He took it to the Lord. 
you know, I think for us, if we find out someone's talking bad about us, you know, well, we'll, we'll go get them. But, you know, as a pastor, you're going to hear stuff. People will criticize. People will say things about you. You know what? You hear it all the time. And, and what you have to do is you just give them to God because Moses was so cool. He blew it one time, and that messed everything up. But, man, for years, for years, he would just pray for them. He would just pray for them. He would just pray for them. Man, they're very critical, but I'm going to pray for them. I'm just going to keep praying. I'm going to keep loving on them. Moses was meek. Jesus was meek. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And so that, the, the meekness, you guys, I would say is very important. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we see that same exhortation in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12. And so meekness is not weakness. It's actually strength under control. It's mildness of disposition and is gentleness of spirit. And I think that when someone is meek and humble, uh, you can kind of see it in them. You can sense it almost when the right thing is done with the right heart. That's the kind of leaders that we need in the church. We need servant leaders. Not shoving leaders, but, but loving leaders. And, and when we have this, and we begin to have this, and then everyone begins to become a team player, because we're going to see that here in our study today, then our church is going to thrive. But it's gonna, God's going to get us today. He's going he's gonna to put his finger on things that I think a lot of people struggle with. They struggle with pride. We struggle with pride. And we struggle with envy. Those are two big sins in the church. Big sins. Now, some might say, no, that's not the big sins, Manny. The big sins are like sexual morality. The big sins are like drugs. Those are the big sins. I'll tell you what, and I don't know for sure. I guess sin is sin. I've got to be careful with stuff like that. But pride might be a bigger sin, and envy might be a bigger sin. And James is going to deal with that. We need leaders. We need churches. We need people who would would serve in such a way and have this kind of heart. Because, man, um, when we gather together and we do this the right way, you watch what God will do. You know, we need that that meekness. You know, Micah 6, 8, I like what it says. It says, "He He has shown you a man... Oh, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, that's what God wants of us. You know, something really cool. Listen to this, okay? You guys can tune out later, but listen to this, okay, for a second. This is very important. It says, the phrase meekness of wisdom is an interesting one meekness check this out meekness is the right use of power isn't that cool meekness is the right use of power and wisdom is the right use of knowledge isn't that cool i mean come on that's really cool huh where is he gets props for that but i'm just saying that's so cool because you know we might get that power but what do you do with it do you serve the people with it um or or or, you know the the whole thing 
when you look at this wisdom, I know a lot, I know a lot, I know a lot. So who cares if you know a lot? The question is, are you living that life of love? I have discovered Christians, some Christians who are so much more loving and so much more like Jesus, and they don't know half as much as that person right there has been walking for the Lord for 30 years. Because it's not about head knowledge. Wisdom is the application of biblical knowledge. Notice what he says in verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Let me ask you a question today. Are you bitter towards anyone? Is there anyone that you just can't forgive? There's someone that you can think of, and it's in your heart. You can't hide it, so come on, be honest. And you just... You just you just don't like them. You just, they did something to you and you have not, you have yet to forgive them. James here is, is kind of saying that that leader, we're talking about the wise leader who's going to bless the church in a meek and humble way, cannot be someone who's bitter. Can't. Neither can it be someone who has envy in their heart or self-seeking in their heart, Right? Uh, and so he says right here, if you have those things, it's there in your heart. No one else sees it, but God sees it. God sees it. It's there in your heart. If you have it in your heart, don't go around boasting about your so-called leadership or, wi- or wisdom. He says, that's lying. That's boasting. That's lying against the truth. You got to deal with it. You got to get rid of, rid of the roots of bitterness. And you have to get envy, take it out of your heart, and smash it with a sledgehammer. Now, what is envy? Envy is when you get bummed because someone else gets blessed. Envy is when you don't get the glory and someone else gets the credit. Envy is when you know you got the Toyota and they got the Lexus. Envy is when you know you got the hundred thousand or you got the one thousand square foot house and they got the two thousand square foot house or whatever it is you're thinking. You know it can happen in so many ugly ways. I've seen it. I've read about it. Some pastors they're competitive with the other pastor on the other side. You know because they got a bigger church or whatever. They I've even heard of some pastors bragging about how they sold. More, uh, you know, back then it was tapes, you know, than the other pastors. Imagine them arguing about that. Well, I sold more than you, and no, I'm going to get you next time, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just crazy. But envy is, is so ugly, but it is so common. You know, what we need to do if we really want to be a church that God can use in a great way is we got to get rid of the bitterness, and we got to get rid of the envy. We have to be, you guys remember, have you seen those teams and it's still so cool? You know, and I can only think of, I'm sure there's other examples, but I think of the basketball example. Remember when the Lakers had Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee? Anybody know about that? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you do. So none of you, okay, one, two, okay, a few of you. All right, so these are two centers, and they're kind of, they're kind of like probably competing for the starting role or whatever, playing time and stuff like that. But, but if you take the envy out, if you, take that, 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 if you put team first, then it doesn't matter who starts. It doesn't matter how many minutes we play. What matters is, is if we win. We keep winning as a team. And so it's so cool to see them on the sidelines just cheering for each other. You know, that's what we should, should be. Oh, they like you better. I mean, they, they love the ministry that you're doing. Praise God because it's all for 
It's for the Lord. You know, and so what he's saying right here, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, listen, don't boast against it. I've heard stories. I have, I've been a, a, in the ministry for 30 years. I remember one church, there was one assistant pastor who, his, him and his wife were jealous of the senior pastor because he kind of got a little bit more accolades. And, you know, and then that could actually happen the other way around too. And, and all I got to say is that we got to get rid of that ugliness. What, what, what we got to have is, it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. What we got to have is get rid of that. Praise God, I am so happy for you. I'm so blessed by the way that you are being used by God in such a great and mighty way. Even if I don't get seen, it's okay. You know, the apostles, and we all struggle with it. That's why I think you'll see it as you read through the Bible, you see envy a lot. Did you guys know that envy was the reason that they delivered Jesus to be crucified? How many of you guys knew that? I'm just curious. Okay, so a couple of you did. It's so ugly because they were, these religious leaders in, in Israel, they were jealous that so many people were following Jesus and Jesus was leading them to the Lord and, you know, doing this work amongst, they should have been happy for him. But, oh no, he's stealing our sheep or he's stealing our money or whatever it might be. They, they, they're going to like him more than me. I mean, it's just craziness, but... I would venture to say that it's very common in the church. We have to come to a place where I just say, you know what, God bless you. you I don't, it doesn't matter if you, uh, you know, surpass me in every area of my life and you have a million followers or whatever on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever it might be, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that, praise God because I know you love Jesus and I know we are in this for him. And that's what James is saying. If you have that in your heart and, and self-seeking and envy and bitter, then, you know, you're, you're boasting and you're actually lying against the truth. And so he's saying, I think what he's saying is that, Manny, if you have any of that, let's come clean right now. Let's get rid of it right now. Let's make sure, let's have as a church the team mentality. Man, I want you to be blessed beyond your wildest imagination in every way. You know, we have to be so careful. You know, what we see so often in the church is that there's a great deal of selfish, carnal promotion. If you guys might remember, even the apostles argued about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So let's just say you're here today and you're like, well, Manny, that's how I am. I'm very competitive. I'm very, very competitive. And um, it's okay to be competitive, uh, and you're, when you're playing ath ath athletics, like if you guys go to the men's retreat, like Mark was uh, you, telling you guys to go, you're going to see they're very competitive when they play volleyball. Very competitive. They'll hurt you. They'll hurt you, man. <laughs> so it's okay to want to win there and, you know, to come out, yeah, we won, you know. But in one sense, it's not okay in the church. The only one that I'm competing with is the best possible me. I want to be the best possible me. And if I'm going to compare myself to anyone, to anyone, I'm going to compare myself to Jesus. See, we don't compete with each other. We complete each other. When we're a team, and if we're a team, imagine, you guys know how it is, because a lot of times you'll get these basketball you know, teams or baseball teams, football teams, and they get a lot of good players on them, but there's no chemistry. 
There has to be teamwork. There has to be chemistry in order for them to win a championship. And I think that when you get a church and they're like a team church, we're like, we're for each other. We applaud when others do well and they excel even beyond us. Then there's going to be that mentality that's going to bring the, the victory. And I think that's what God is, is trying to do. If that's us, if we're bitter, we're envy, we're self-seeking, he says in verse 15 that the wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's actually demonic. And so there is a wisdom from below. There is a wisdom from below and there's a wisdom from above. And as we're making our decisions, then we have to ask God, well, what's the source of my wisdom? What's the source of me basing my decisions upon? And he mentions three things. Number one is earthly. And so normally the Bible uses the word worldly, the world. And so number two, he uses the word sensual, and that's really basically referring to the flesh. And then thirdly is demonic. We all know that. So you guys know this. Those are actually our three enemies, the fallen world, the fallen flesh, and the fallen angels. And a lot of times, you know, the reason that we're basing our decisions is because we've been caught up with the standards and the wisdom and the things of the world. So, like I said earlier, if you buy into the lie, well, you've got to have this by this age, and you've got to be making this much money, and, you know, if you're ready for retirement or whatever, I'm not saying it's not good to be financially wise, but be careful. What, what's the American dream? I mean, is that God's dream for your life? Is that God's destiny for your life? You have to be, wisdom has a lot to do with listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and knowing the word of God because he has an intimate, personal plan for your life. That's why wisdom, when Paul, I mean, when Solomon asked for wisdom, the Bible says God gave him a hearing heart. So the wisdom of the world, I mean, the, the 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So are you going to get your wisdom from the world? Are you going to get your wisdom from non-believers? I mean, that, a lot of times there's the wisdom of the world and so-and-so said this. Okay, that's a nice quote, but let me see if it lines up with Scripture. You know, and then there's the flesh. It's sensual. It's unspiritual, literally. It's the flesh. And so did you guys know that we're broken? Did you guys know that uh, in and of ourselves... We're going to go the wrong way. Any of you guys know that? Some of you guys, uh, maybe I think, sometimes we think, well, I'm a good, you know, care, you know, my heart's good. And Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, no, our heart is deceitful above all things. It's deceiving. As a matter of fact, here's something that I was, when I was reading and I was just pondering this. I'm like, Lord, here it is, Lord, here it is. So many people follow their heart. They follow their heart. Their heart says, I don't like you. I don't like that person. And that's just in their heart, right? But, but I, I'm learning, and, I, and I'm not just trying to use it as a cliche, but I'm learning you've got to lead your heart. Don't follow your heart. You lead your heart by knowing what's right. And so let's just say you do have an issue with somebody, and you know, your heart says, run, run away. <laughs> And, and, but the Bible says, you know, go to them and love them and just, you know, you may not be feeling it, but you do the right thing. You start loving on them. I've learned that you can actually overcome that envy. You can overcome that bitterness. And then what ends up happening is they start, you know, s just feeling that love and then they start loving you back. 
And then the next thing you know, because they're like loving you back, you've restored this relationship, and now your heart actually starts, man, this person's a beautiful person. I love them. I can't believe we went through that crazy you know, canyon for a season of time. That's what love does. That's what love does. And so here, you know, we got to make sure that we walk in the wisdom of the Lord, not the wisdom from below, not what the world says, not what my flesh says, not what the enemy says. Look what he says in verse 16, what ends up happening, because for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I mean, if, if you end up living that life of envy, it's horrible, it's horrible. It, it really is. I mean, there's confusion and every evil thing. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, that God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. And when you really start living your life in the wisdom from above, it's the formula for successful living in God's eyes, then you're going to be in this atmosphere of agape love. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's peace because you don't have that. But if you are on the other side, envy, self-seeking, strife, bitterness, all that crazy stuff, you, then everything evil is there. You know, what we find is that uh, if you want that life, and we're going to see it at the end, you've got to really invest the things that, that God says. Erwin Lutzer said, envy is rebellion against God's leading in the lives of his children. It's saying that God has no right to bless someone else more than you. Is that true? I think he blesses us all, but he blesses us in different ways. Billy Graham said that envy can ruin reputation, split churches, cause murder. Envy can shrink our circle of friends, ruin our business, and dwarf our souls. Billy Graham said, I have seen hundreds cursed by it. Do any of you know any critics? Just curious. You know this person, you're like, man, they're just so critical. They're just so, so critical. Right here it says, criticism is often nothing more than low-grade envy. You know, one of the major causes of stress in life is envy, and it's rooted, really, check this out, it's rooted in a lack of self-esteem. It grows in the soil, soil of comparisons and blossoms in poisonous thorns of desire for what others have or achieve. And I, and I thought there's so much to that because here's where I think that it might help. Like I can tell you guys, stop it. I can tell you guys, stop it. Right? Stop envying. But, but maybe the reason why people envy is because they just don't realize, you know, how valuable they are. Now, the world uses the word self-esteem. We know what it really means. It means that I'm valuable to God. I'm valuable because I've created in his image and I know he loves me. He even died for me. So I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't have this complex of where I need to prove that I'm better than anyone else because I know who I am in Christ. And that's where envy, it just thrives in that atmosphere of you and I not realizing how valuable we are in God's sight. One person said, this envious man 
fills others' fortunes or his misfortunes. Their profit, his loss. Their blessing, his cursing. Their health, his illness. Their promotion, his demotion. And their success, his failure. So I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling that a lot of people struggle with it. I, 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 I'm not a very competitive person, to be honest, even in sports. And that's probably not a good thing in me. You know, when I'm playing checkers, I remember when I used to play with my kids, I used to let them win. Now, some of the parents say, don't do that. They don't do that. You're going to ruin them. And I'm sorry. Don't tell Aaron, but I would let him win, you know, chess. I haven't let him win in chess yet. <laughs> but, no, I'm just joking. All I'm saying is that I'm not that competitive, and I thank God that, you know, by nature, it hasn't really spilled over too much in the church. But I will. I do get those thoughts. I get those thoughts. But C.H. Spurgeon said, you can keep a bird. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest. And so you get those thoughts, and I can't believe that that person got all the accolades, and that person made it in the bulletin or whatever. That person, I mean, you name it, it's dumb things. He got to teach. I mean, who cares? Sometimes people are like that. And what the Lord says is that's not the, it'll ruin you. It'll ruin you. God has a beautiful plan for your life. You may not see it right now, but he sees it. And it's all unfolding. Keep your eyes on him. Because this will tear you up. I read a story, it's a Greek legend about a certain athlete who ran well, but he placed second in the race. And the winner got all this praise, and eventually he got a statue erected in his honor. But envy ate away at the man who placed second. He resented the winner, and he couldn't think of anything else. He was just fixated on this individual and eventually decided to destroy the statue of the winner. And so night after night, he went to the statue under cover of darkness, chiseling away at the base to weaken the foundation. But one night as he chiseled in anger, he went too far and the heavy marble statue teetered on its base and crashed down on the disgruntled athlete and he died between the weight of the marble replica of the man who he had grown to hate. His own envy had destroyed him. And I'm telling you guys, that'll happen. That's the world. That's how they get on top. Dog eat dog. But the way of the Lord is so cool. Look what it says in verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Now let me just pause there for a moment. You can't have peace without purity. Because sometimes there are other people like, peace, peace, oh, come on, let's go get together. Or you don't believe in Jesus as God, that's okay. You know, we got this common denominator. No, that, that's not purity. There has to be purity first, then peaceable. It says gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. I mean, isn't that what we want, you guys? I mean, some of you guys were blessed with awesome dads. Some of you didn't even have a dad, so to speak. I, um, I sometimes wonder what it would have been like to have a wise We didn't have it growing up. A lot of you guys didn't. But we got one now. 
we have a wise father now. Don't run your life by the wisdom of the world. Live your life by the wisdom from above. It's not dominating. It'll even let you cry. This wisdom is, notice how, how beautiful it is. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy. Can you see how, how gracious it is and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy? You see, the wisdom that we can get now is from above and it's just so beautiful. It's unlike anything the world has to offer and, and he says in verse 18 that the fruit of, of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And, and basically what he's saying right here is, you know, this, this fruit of righteousness, this life of righteousness, of right living, like I said earlier, a successful spiritual life. What good would it do if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? This successful, not worldly life, successful spiritual life, this fruit of righteousness it, it is sown in peace. And so if you can visualize seeds of peace that I'm sowing, seeds of humility, seeds of, of mercy, seeds of compassion, seeds I'm willing to yield, I'm willing to let you you know, be over me. I mean, you name it, that, that type of, of leadership. That's what happened when the apostles were arguing about who would be the greatest. You guys remember? They're arguing, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. And so they came to the house and the Lord said, hey, you guys, just curious, what were you guys talking about on the road over here? And they didn't want to say anything. Remember? And the Lord said, because they were arguing about who would be the greatest. And so the Lord had a little talk with them. Next thing you know, James and John come, they bring their mom and mom goes and talks to Jesus and says, Jesus, hey, I want my sons on your right hand and on your left. And so um, the Lord says, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Eh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, the ones on my right and my left are the ones that my father has appointed. I don't even know if these guys really know how much of a cross it requires in the blood, soil, toil, and sacrifice it requires to be in a place like that. Um, and so he said, no, but, 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 but then afterwards, it says they were all angry. All the apostles were angry that they, they had asked that. That Why? Because they wanted to be those. And the Lord went on and he told them, listen, that's not the way it is in, in the kingdom of God. That's the way it is in the kingdom of men, yes, but not in the kingdom of God. It says if you want to be a servant, you know, you have to be this diacono. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be a doulos, a slave of all. See, that's what we're seeing right here. When that becomes your mentality, and I think we go back to leadership, and I think we go back to proving that you're wise by the life that you live when you obey with humility. If you, if you want to be that person, then it has to be seeds that are, are sown, that are, that are wise and humble and loving and meek. And, and then what ends up happening is you produce, it produces this fruit of righteousness it produces this atmosphere, this Christian community, this healthy, robust um, surrounding that you will live in. But if you live in envy and self-seeking and all that kind of stuff, you want to know what you're going to end up with? No friends. No friends. But when you have that heart, it's amazing. The friends, the fruit, and the beautiful field that it yields. 
And so, you guys, I pray uh, today that we would want the wisdom from above, that we would reject the wisdom from below, that we'd be able to identify it. And it all starts in a personal relationship with God. And so I know most of you guys here are saved. So hopefully we get convicted by the study and we get rid of all the envy and all that bitterness and just, he doesn't just say it to, to state it, he says it so we get rid of it. For us as a church, let us be that way. But if you don't know the Lord, I pray that today you would know uh, this is the life that he has for you.